From the Old City, a practical Torah commentary by Gutman Lodge. Numbers 22.2, Balak, the power to curse. In this week's portion of the Torah, we read about Balaam, the prophet of the Gentile nations who was attempting to curse Israel. Although Balaam was an immoral person, he had the mystical power to curse. Whomever he cursed would be cursed. The evil king of Moab, Balak, saw Israel advancing towards his land and was greatly frightened. He hired Balaam to curse the Jewish people in order to stop them from advancing towards him. Although the text tells us that Balaam also had the power to bless, and in fact did become a vehicle for blessings, the commentaries tell us that his power was limited only to curses. However, every time Balaam tried to curse Israel, God changed his words, and Balaam actually ended up blessing the very people he was hired to curse. If God had not interceded, Balaam would have been able to curse Israel. The logical question here is, how can such an immoral person have a mystical power? Aren't mystical powers gifts from God? If so, why would God reward such an evil person by not only giving him this power, but also allowing him to become the prophet for those nations? The Kabbalah explains that whatever man becomes attached to spiritually, that is what he will manifest. This is a startling statement. It means that no matter what spiritual practice someone engages, he is going to manifest something from his effort. Even spiritually impure practices can cause spiritual results. This principle shows that even if a person dedicates his spiritual practice to foolishness and nothing, still something could happen. We see this today with the many spiritual seekers of the world. Millions of Buddhists meditate many hours a day, literally on nothing. With such a foolish practice, one would assume nothing could possibly come from it. But no, the most successful of those Buddhists who meditate on nothing will gain a radiant glow on their faces, seemingly beyond nature. They will gain many benefits stemming from their great detachment from the physical world. For instance, they might look very young for their years. They might live long lives or appear extraordinarily calm, and so on. Hindus, whose spiritual practices involve outright idolatry, might very well produce some mystical power. There are gurus today who openly demonstrate these gifts. Also, there are Christian healers who apparently do open and amazing wonders. If indeed these are false religions, how can these practices produce such wonders? The Torah warns that even if a false prophet gives a sign or performs a wonder, we are not to listen to him. So we see that a false prophet can possibly do a wonder. When Abraham sent his children, whom he fathered with Keturah, away to the east, he gave them gifts. The commentators explained that these were unclean, evil powers. In the Torah portion, the Era, it is explained why Abraham gave them such gifts. So we see from the Torah itself that there are such powers in the world. 
Wouldn't it make more sense for God to reserve mystical powers only for the pure and righteous students of Kabbalah and not make them available through the crooked practices of the world? If God did such a thing, free will would be removed from the world. If all of the wonders came only from Torah practices, who would ever stray? But God wants there to be choice in this world. One of the basic principles is that God gives rewards according to the effort. If there would be no free will, there would be little effort. With these other powerful options, we have a real choice as to which way to go. If Balaam displayed no wonders, the nations of the world could claim that they behaved the way they did because they did not have a prophet to guide them. So we see that these false prophets do have powers, and sadly, many millions of their followers are satisfied with such wonders and continue in the practices that produce them. It is not just that they are satisfied with these wonders, but even worse, they believe the wonders are proof that their practices are right. Here we see the function of evil in the world. Without evil, we would have no real choice to do good. Free will versus the all-powerful. If these powers come to such people as Balaam, so that there will be free will in the world, then the question becomes this. Since God interceded and stopped Balaam from cursing the Jewish people, does man really have free will? When Hashem intercedes with the flow of nature, it is called a miracle. Other than these rare occasions, we are told that man has free will. But we're also told that God is omnipotent. This seems to be a contradiction. Omnipotent means all-powerful. If God is omnipotent, then by definition, he must have all the power in the entire creation. And if he has all the power, then how are we doing anything at all, let alone supernatural wonders? If he's omnipotent, who is choosing what to do, let alone doing it? This is called a paradox. A paradox is not a contradiction as is usually thought. A paradox is an apparent contradiction. There's a vast difference here. Use the word all and the particular as an illustration. The all is all there is, or else it could not be all. Yet the particulars, the individual objects within the all, are also here. When you touch a particular, you must be also touching the all. Because whatever you touch, it has to be the all. But still, you cannot say that the particular is the all, because this particular is not any other particular. It is just this one particular, whereas the all is the entire all, including all of the particulars. When man acts, he is acting as a particular, but really, the all is doing everything. Since man is not conscious of his relationship to the all, and sees himself solely as the particular individual, indeed, he is choosing freely to do whatever he wants. The particular man is taking whatever steps he wishes, but still, it is the all who is actually doing everything. How can this be? When we focus on the particular, we say that the particular is doing the act. When we focus on the universal, the all, we say that the all is doing everything, including the act that the particular man is doing. From the lower perspective, indeed, man has free will. 
From the higher perspective, we see that God is doing everything while allowing man to think that man is the doer. Here is another illustration to help explain this concept. Pick up an object with your thumb and forefinger. You clearly see that it is your thumb and forefinger that are holding up that object. Or is it your hand that is holding it up? Or is it your arm that is holding it up? Or is it your will willing that object to be held up? Or is it the you who is holding up that object? After all, it is you who are willing the will to make the body hold it up. Or is it the life that fills all who is holding up that object? All of these are true. Whichever perspective or area we focus on will be seeing the one doing the action. The same is true with the omnipotent one who, in truth, is doing all, and individuals who see themselves to be the ones who are doing what they are doing. So do we have free will? Yes. Are we the ones doing whatever we do? Yes. Is God omnipotent? Yes. Therefore, is God doing everything? Yes. Is this a contradiction? No. There is one dot com.